Well, good morning, Crossway, and welcome back to our Sunday morning gatherings as we're doing them now. Um, me in front of the camera and you there gathered around your computer screen or TV screen or whatever the situation is there in your home. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying plugged in to what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. Last week, after watching the Sunday morning video message, um, someone whom I love very much, who will remain nameless, um, told me that my desk was messy and that I needed to clean it up. So one solution to that problem is just to change the camera angle so you can't see that I haven't done anything to clean up the mess over there, but we'll try to do better uh, next week. Um, before we turn to God's Word together this morning, I just want to take a moment and, and share a word with, uh, with the children. So if you are in that group that I normally dismiss on Sunday morning, or maybe you're in the group that's already out in your classes, uh, I want you to kind of scooch in a little bit, and I have something that I want to share with you that I've been thinking about all week since last Sunday. Um, maybe you've seen something like this before. This is a book that I received when I was actually um, not even one year old. I mean, obviously, I couldn't read it yet, but... My aunt, one of my aunts, gave this to my parents on the day that I was dedicated uh, in church. And so uh, this is called The Bible in Pictures for Little Eyes. And I'm pretty sure you can't, you can't read this, but it says Michael Andrew. It's my middle name. And it says Dedication Day, May 10th, 1959, which is like a million years ago. Um, and it says from Aunt Bernice. That was her her formal name, but we called her Aunt Buzz, which was pretty cool to have an Aunt Buzz. And we loved this book. I loved this book growing up. And I remember pictures from this book. In fact, I just want to share a few of those pictures with you. Um, I think you'll recognize some of these pictures that I want to share. Here's one that I think you'll recognize right away. This um, is, you see that little guy in the basket there? You know who that is, don't you? That's Moses. And Moses' mom put him in this basket and put him out in the Nile River and hid him in the bulrushes, hoping that he would be kept safe because Pharaoh was killing all the baby boys. And so what should happen but Pharaoh's daughter, that's this lady all dolled up here. She went down to the river to bathe, and she sees this basket, and she tells one of her servant girls to go get the basket, and what do they discover but... Moses. And this is how God protected Moses. And you might be able to see over there in the bulrushes, there's, there's Miriam. That's Moses' brother. And her job was to make sure that things ended up okay. And as soon as she sees Pharaoh's daughter, she knows that's how God's going to take care of Moses. There's another picture that I remember from this book that I, that I particularly remember. I have a vivid, mem vivid memory of this picture. You recognize this guy, right? This is Samson. Samson was a very strong man. God gave him extra strength, but Samson also did some things that were not real pleasing to God. And so God allowed him to be captured by their enemies, the Philistines. And in fact, uh, they were not very nice to Samson. They gouged his eyes out. And here he is. He's blind. He's chained to these pillars inside this temple of a false god. And while he's there, he prays, God, give me strength one last time. And God gives him strength, and he pulls those pillars, and that's what you see in this picture is that temple coming, crashing down. And that's how God brought judgment on those people who were worshiping a false god. 
There's another picture that I think you'll recognize that I remember. This one is David and Goliath. You recognize David there? Here he is with his sling. And he's out there on the battlefield with this big old guy, Goliath. And Goliath has been challenging, mocking God and God's people. And David goes out there and he goes out in the name of the Lord. And he is full of courage and full of faith. And God uses him to defeat Goliath. Um, these are all pictures that I remember from when I was a child. This is one of my favorites. Recognize this? This is Daniel, Daniel there in the middle. And Daniel lived in a, in a country where he was not allowed to pray. The king said, no one can pray. And if anyone prays, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. And Daniel said, I'm going to still pray because I love God and I want to talk to God. And so someone saw him. And so the king had to follow his orders, his own orders, and he threw Daniel in the lion's den. And here's all these lions. They look really hungry. In fact, look at this guy right here. This, he's looking up at Daniel like, hmm, he looks tasty. But um, God sent an angel. And that angel stopped the lion's mouth so that Daniel slept safely in that den all night long. And nothing happened to him. And God was glorified through Daniel's faith and Daniel's obedience. But the main reason why I thought about this book was this picture right here. Last week when I was preaching about the Good Shepherd, um, this picture came to my mind. And I remember seeing this picture as a little boy and just being so drawn to it and so drawn to Jesus because of this picture. Jesus told a story one time about a Good Shepherd and that shepherd had had 100 sheep, and one day he was counting his sheep, and he got to 96, 97, 98, 99, but there was no 100. And so he knew one of them was missing, and so he put the 99 in the fold to keep them safe, and he went out to look for the one lost sheep, and here he is. And I know that animals don't have the same kind of thoughts as people do, but if they did, I think this little sheep would be looking up at the shepherd saying, I am so glad to see you. <laughs> Thank you for coming and finding me. And Jesus told this story to help us understand what he's like, what Jesus is like, especially when we wander. Jesus loves us, and he comes and he finds us. So I wanted to share this with you. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. I know that it's probably more enjoyable for some of our younger ones, but we all love pictures, so I'm glad you all kind of scooted in to pay attention. All right, now, would you all, everybody, turn with me in your Bibles to... The Gospel of John, chapter 11, for this morning's message. I think I have probably preached from this passage more than any other passage, with the possible exception of Romans chapter 8, um, from the Bible. And, and the main reason for that is because just about every funeral that I've done, I make reference to John chapter 11. And in the 20 plus years now that I've had the privilege of pastoring at Crossway, I think I've done close to 50 sermons. So that's a lot of references to John chapter 11. But I've also um, preached from this passage uh, in our normal Sunday morning messages, I think on three different occasions over the years at Crossway. And so you might be asking, well, why are you preaching from this again? Here's why. Because we have to be regularly, continually reminded of the truth of what 
we believe. Neither this truth from John chapter 11 or any truth that we believe is going to just automatically stay alive in our hearts and in our minds. It needs to be fed. It needs to be nourished regularly. So this morning, let's remind ourselves. Let's feed ourselves again on the truth of God's word from this great chapter, John chapter 11. And let's start by reading this passage. It's a little longer passage, but I want us to read this together because we need this. And it's also a really great story. So you follow along, John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. This is God's word. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, the one whom you love, notice that, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved, notice that again, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, notice that, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It, it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. There is uh, something very interesting happening here in John chapter 11. And when we notice it, it helps us to get at the heart of what's really happening in this chapter. Here's what we see. We see Jesus' love for people, and that love calls them to believe in him because when they believe, they receive life. We say that again. We see Jesus' love for people. And out of his love, he calls them to believe in him because if you believe in him, you receive life. And we see that happening in John chapter 11 along several different relational lines. And that's what I want us to look at together this morning. So let's start first with Lazarus. Now, in one sense, um, it's the most obvious, but it's also the least obvious explicit, the least clear. We are told pretty much right from the beginning that Jesus loved Lazarus. He was a very close friend. Um, John comes right out and tells us in this chapter and lets us know that there was a very close relationship between Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus would often go to Lazarus' home. It was just a few miles away from Jerusalem, and Jesus would regularly go there to that house to just kind of get away from the crowds and to unwind and relax a little bit. Wouldn't you love to have seen what it was like in that home with Jesus unwinding? Um, I'm sure there was a lot of laughter. I'm sure there was a lot of joy over meals and a lot of love and friendship that was shared. Lazarus was a very special friend of Jesus, such that John lets us know right away, verse 3, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, the one whom you love and in verse 5, it says it again. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. Later in the chapter, in verse 36, the Jews say, see how he loved him. Now, what Jesus does out of his love for Lazarus is remarkable. I mean, that's an understatement. Because after he dies, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. After Lazarus dies, Jesus raises him from the dead. But in the process, Jesus calls him to believe. Now, it's not stated explicitly, but it is, it is necessarily implied. I mean, imagine what this must have been like for Lazarus. We don't know what his final hours had been like. We don't know what level of consciousness he had. What were his last thoughts? Did he know that he was dying? But at some point, he finds himself lying there, conscious, awake. He's got something wrapped around his face. He's aware he's lying on something cold and hard. He's all wrapped up and he's sure that he's heard a voice calling his name and telling him to come out. When do you think it dawns on him that he's in a tomb? When does it dawn on Lazarus that, that he's been dead? At what point does he realize that he now must do something? He must get up. I think sometimes we have this image of Lazarus coming out of the tomb like he's some zombie or something. But what was really the case was that here was a man who was alive and awake and no doubt very confused. And he's slowly coming to an awareness. And in order to move, in order to get up, he had to believe. And he did. Look at verse 44. The man who had died came out and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And apparently, understandably, uh, it had a profound effect on him and on others as they saw him and as Lazarus shared his story with them. We see a little snapshot of that in chapter 12. Look over there for just a moment. Chapter 12, verse 9. Verse nine. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Jesus' love for him called him to respond in belief so that he might live. And, and while this life that he has, this renewed physical life that he has, it's real, it's really representative of a far greater reality. The life that Lazarus, Lazarus is now living uh, at the end of this passage isn't the main thing that Jesus wants to give him. Uh, it's, just, it's just an extension of his old life. It's just a very slight lengthening of the dot that is his ordinary life. He'll have to go through dying again. But Jesus has a greater life to give. And that becomes really clear in the second line that I want us to trace. It's with these two sisters. 
Martha and Mary, whom, notice, verse 5, Jesus also loved. Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So Jesus has, with Martha and Mary, this, this same warm, tender, affectionate relationship. They've spent a lot of time together. They have become very close. These, these sisters are very dear to Jesus. He cares about them. And the main way that Jesus shows his love for them is in his desire for them to believe so that they will have life. Look back at that interchange between Jesus and Martha in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus is not just focusing on Lazarus. He says to Mary, do you believe this? To, to Martha, do you believe this? It, it, it matters that you believe, Martha. I want you to believe because whoever believes in me shall live. And Jesus really wants her and later her sister Mary to have this everlasting life. And so he calls out of his love for them, he calls them to believe. There's, there's a third line in this chapter where we see the very same pattern. Jesus' love, calling for belief, leading to life. And it's, it has to do with Jesus' disciples. Look back up at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And he starts talking about the importance of walking in the light and not walking in the dark. But after he said this, look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll, he'll wake up, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake. Do you hear that? Jesus is acting out of love for them. He cares about them. He says, for your sake, it's because I love you and I want something to happen in you. And then it says there in verse 15, I'm glad that I was not there. I mean, we're going to see that the reason for the delay is so that there would be no question at all that Lazarus was really dead. But notice verse 15 it is for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. I want you to believe. It's important to me that all of you, each one of you personally believe. So Peter, James, John, Thomas, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, every one of you, Judas, I want you to believe so that you might have life. You see the pattern here, right? Jesus loves, that love gets expressed in his very strong desire for people to respond to him in belief, 
because when they believe, they receive life, abundant life. That's what John chapter 10 told us. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, but also this life, resurrection life, eternal life. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. We see it with Lazarus. We see it with Mary and Martha. We see it with the disciples. But you know, there's actually one more line that we should trace here, this line of love, calling for belief, and that leading to life. I really want you to see this. Look with me at verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Um, there, there were people there that day, many people. We, we don't know exactly how many. There could have been 20, 30. There might have been 100. We don't know. All we know is that there were many. Verse 19, and many of the Jews had come to Mar Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So we don't know exactly how many, but they're there, and Jesus sees them, and he loves them. That's his heart toward them. That's always his heart towards people. We see that throughout the gospel. He wants them to believe in him and to have life. I knew, verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here that they may believe. And look at verse 45. I didn't read this before, but look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So there's this same line, Jesus loving these people, wanting them to believe, calling them to believe, and them receiving life. But that line doesn't stop with them. The word about Jesus spreads, and ultimately it, it travels over miles and through years all the way, eventually, after hundreds of years and over thousands of miles, all the way to you and your family and to me and my family. Look with me at something. I, I want you to see this. Just flip a couple chapters over to John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying. And he's praying primarily for his disciples. But in the middle of this prayer, this is what he says. Chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Also for those who will believe in me through their word. And as we read the account in the very next book of the Bible, the book of Acts, what we read is that word, spreading. It goes north, and then it goes west throughout the Mediterranean world, and then it leaps over into Europe, into Greece, and in, into Italy. And over years, it goes south into Africa, and east to Asia, and further north into northern Europe, and ultimately over to America, and over time to you and to me. 
you know, you weren't there in the crowd on that day. I wasn't there. We weren't there in the crowd, but we were in Jesus' mind. We were in Jesus' heart. Jesus saw you and he loved you and he wants you to believe so that you might have life. Friends, look again at those words in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, though she die, yet shall he live. Yet shall she live. And everyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their trust in me, whoever turns away from trusting in themselves and their own goodness, their own good works, whoever puts their trust entirely in Christ shall live and have everlasting life. And the question for every one of us is very simple. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Christ? You know, I believe there are at least two things that we need to take away from this morning. Uh, we might think of this as a small lesson and a really big lesson. Here's the smaller lesson. Jesus is very willing for us to experience difficult things in order that something far greater than our own comfort and our own ease might be produced in us. We don't like that. <laughs> our comfort and our ease is something that we feel very strongly about, but what we see here in John chapter 11 is that Jesus is willing uh, for those he loves to experience trial and heartache and discomfort and danger so, so that something far greater and far more lasting might be provided. And don't think for a minute that Jesus is not willing to do the same thing for you. He loves you. He wants you to have life. So here's the question connected to that first smaller lesson. In your present challenging circumstances, whatever they might be, what are you valuing most? Is it your physical, emotional, psychological comfort, or is it God's purposes to grow your faith, to grow your endurance, to grow your character, to grow your hope in him? So that's the first lesson. But now here's the second big lesson. It's the main lesson, I believe, of John chapter 11. Here it is. For those who have put their faith in Christ, the sting of death has been completely removed. And it has been replaced with this promise of everlasting life. Jesus has completely conquered death so that for those who are in Christ, death is no longer something to be feared. It no longer poses a threat. It is, it's been stripped of its power. It no longer has the ability to do any real harm for those who have put their trust in Christ. Friends, you know this. Um, our lives are brief. They're like a vapor. They're here and they're gone and we die. But for those who put their trust in Christ, Jesus has come to rescue us from the tyranny of death, such that death for the Christian is a conquered, it's an impotent thing. Death, think about this, death is the thing 
about which the Christian perspective and the non-Christian perspective differ most widely. And therefore, it is the thing about which we stand to be most damagingly affected by not fully embracing the Christian perspective. What Jesus tells us right here. Here it is, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And because of that, because that is true, we can, with full confidence and with full joy, we can say, in fact, we can sing, it is well, it is so well with my soul. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again this morning. And Lord, we pray that as we now go into the new week, that you would continue to minister to us through your word, through our worship, um, through our mutual care this week. Lord, we ask you, would you help us to trust you and to live in the good of what you've told us here in John chapter 11. Father, thank you for the love you showed to us in Christ. Help us to live in the good of his unfailing love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Crossway, thank you for, turning, for tuning in. And um, we would just ask you to continue to pray for us, uh, especially as we in these coming weeks begin to think about what it's going to look like for us to regather. Um, we need to think about that with wisdom and with creativity. And so we ask, would you pray for us? Uh, we hope it's not too many weeks out and we need to be thinking about it now. So pray as we continue to pray for you as well. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.